Hello everyone, this is episode 29 of Going Beyond Salvation. We're, we're continuing on. Um, and this is your host, Jess Robinson. And it seems like Snowmageddon here in Wyoming is ending. It's finally stopped snowing and the sun is actually trying to come out and it's actually warming up. So it's actually kind of nice. Anyway, um, but the roads are still bad, and they're trying to plow them, and people are still trying to drive them. So, um, when we last ended, we were in the book of Exodus, and in the book of Exodus, we stopped at chapter 2, um, and then also in the daily reading, I had said verse 25, go through chapter 5 through verse 25. It's actually verse 23. There's no 25. Um, so what it is, um, I'm going to start with the beginning of chapter 3 and tie it all together. And so Moses, you know, he becomes the son-in-law of Jethro and he ends up becoming, um, you know, he starts tending the flock, which is the sheep. And he's, he's there for 40 years. And, you know, this was, you know, tending the sheep. It was necessary preparation for, for what was going to happen. Um, you know, what, where he was going to go and what the Lord was going to do for him. You know, he ended up, you know, he, he was learning you know, his character and leadership development through hiddenness, brokenness, humility, and solitude with God. Um, and I just want to say, you know, as believers, we're the same way. The, the Lord prepares us for, you know, we go through these times and we wonder why are we going through these times when you have been given a word from the Lord and it just seems hard and you just want to give up. But the Lord is always preparing us because we cannot go out on our own, out of, on, on our own flesh. You know, as I'm, you know, reading in, in my class, in the book of Acts, you know, the Jesus, you know, he had said, go make disciples of all the nations. But when you get to the book of Acts, he tells them to wait to go to Jerusalem and wait and be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And it's because, you know, yes, they were going, they had to go out and witness and, and tell about what they had seen and who Jesus was and, and share the gospel. But at the same time, they couldn't go out on their own flesh. They had to be empowered by Jesus through the Holy Spirit in order to witness and so that's the same way with us. We're in this preparation. We can't go out on our own unless we're, you know, unless we are, um, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, if you're going out in the flesh, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be effective and you can actually make things worse. It's just like, um, I was watching a video last night and it was, you know, this person was talking about the movie, the original movie, The Karate Kid. And where, you know, 
where where Daniel ends up, you know, the main character of of the Karate Kid. He's going to Mr. Miyagi's, you know, home. You know, going to meeting with Mr. Miyagi to to learn karate. And the first day, you know, Mr. Miyagi gives him the the cloths and has him wax all of his cards and it was the wax on wax off deal and he ends up you know and he's just like okay and he's doing that thinking okay I'll learn karate afterwards and you know and Mr. Miyagi if he got sloppy he was guiding and directing how to do it and so then the next day he comes back and Mr. Miyagi shows, has him paint the whole fence. But there's a way he has him paint the fence. And if if the main character does not do it right, he, he shows him how to do it. He corrects him. And then, so he's kind of irritated that he's not learning karate. But then he comes back the third day and he gives him, you know, sandpaper and tells him that he has to sandpaper the, the floor. And... He's all mad after this whole thing and he gives Mr. Miyagi a piece of his, of his mind and we all remember in that movie Mr. Miyagi ends up throwing punches and all of a sudden the main character is like starting to he's using the moves that he learned from you know waxing the car from painting the fence from waxing or sanding the floor to divert these punches and all these moves. And so, you know, we may not understand why we're in the situation we're in, but the Lord, you know, is, is we're a lot of times we are in a preparation, you know, for the season that the Lord is going to put us through. We're going to be in a season of preparation and then he moves us forward. And, you know, and that's what I want to tell new believers that a lot, you know, you want to jump in and do all this stuff for the Lord. And, and a lot of times the Lord is putting you in a season of preparation, you know, reading the word, starting to become disciples yourself. And, you know, and I want to say to new believers, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because that's going to help you when you're reading the word, when you're in prayer, because you're going to have that empowerment and from, from the Lord and it'll help you to witness as well as you begin to witness to other people. And so we see this with Moses that he's in a time of preparation and then 40 years go by and one day he's out tending the sheep and he sees this bush and that what's interesting about this burning bush is it's not it's not burning up. There's a fire, but it's not burning up. So, you know, they say curiosity kills the cat. He ends up going and and checking this thing out out of curiosity, going, you know, because it's not every day that you see a burning bush out in the middle of nowhere and this burning bush is not getting set on fire. You know, I worked or I lived and grew up on a farm and every spring we would we do what's called cleaning the ditches because here in Wyoming we irrigate and the farm I grew up in, it was 
there was not any cement ditches and except for one field. That was it, just one field having a cement ditch. But even then with a cement ditch, you still have all these weeds that grow up on the side. And during the winter, you know, when it hits fall and in the winter, they end up drying up. And when spring happens and once the snow is gone and it's dried up, as farmers, you go out and you set the weeds on fire and you go along the ditch and set them on fire. So you have room to put, you know, you'll be able to set, a, you know, what's called an irrigation tube. And to water your field. And it also is protection against snakes. Because then you, you can see them. Because they will hide in the grass. And so you'll be able to see them. It, it gets away and gives gets that cover away. So what happens is, you know. And so growing up, it's like, yeah, I'm used to seeing, you know, things being set on fire. But it's like not being burnt up. And then, um, so we see he goes to this bush and the Lord speaks to him and, you know, Moses says, here I am. And then God tells him, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And so God's initial revelation to Moses was of his holiness. Like Abraham, when he revealed himself, um, So he reveals, um, you know, he had revealed Abraham, you know, what his revelation was of his great power. However, with Moses, it was his holiness and people go, okay, what does it mean to, you know, what does holiness mean? And what it means is a separation from sin and all evil, you know? And it's a commitment to righteousness, a commitment to please God. And so Moses, as God's servant, he had to remember constantly that the God whom he served was holy. And we're getting to this part, like, especially once the Israelites, you know, are set free and we get to the law, what it was, was the Lord was saying what was clean and unclean, what was holy and unholy. Because they served a holy God, you know, and, and that, you know, he's so holy that for a human to look fully at him, he, it would bring death. Um, and so he reveals to himself as, as a God who's holy. And then he also reveals himself as the God of his father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And so Moses hides his face because he sees how holy the Lord is. And then he tells him that he has seen the misery of his people in Egypt and that he's heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and that he's concerned for their suffering. And so he reveals to Moses that he's come to rescue them from the land of Egypt and that he's going to send them to the land of the Canaanites again, you know, as he had promised to Abraham that they were going to go to the land of Canaan, that he was 
you know, his descendants were going to inherit the land of Canaan. And, and, but he tells him, tells Moses that he's going to send him to Pharaoh to bring his people, the Israelites out of Egypt. He's assigning Moses as, you know, his representative to go deliver these people. And Moses at first is like, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And I know a lot of us, a lot of times when we do feel a calling of the Lord or we get this word from the Lord, a lot of times we sit there going, um, you know, who am I that, that, you know, you're sending me? You know, we don't believe in ourselves a lot of times, but God doesn't see us for our past and he doesn't see us for ourselves. He sees the potential and within us to be, and especially the willingness, you know, when we're willing to, to serve him that, you know, he, you know, he, he sees that and then, um, God reaffir- you know, reassures him that he's going to be with him and that he gives him a sign that um, Moses was going to worship God on this mountain that he meets him at. And it's Horeb, the mountain of God, which they end up going back there after, um, you know, Moses, you know, after the Israelites are freed from Egypt. But he gives him this sign that you know, that he's going to be with him. And then Moses is like, okay, well, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they're going to ask, you know, he asked this question, you know, what, you know, in regards to the name of God. And God tells Moses, I am who I am. And This is the Lord himself giving himself a personal name. And the I am who I am, this is um, where the Hebrew word Yahweh is derived from. And it's a Hebrew phrase that indicates action. So God was in effect saying to Moses, I wish to be known as the God who is present and active. That is is what he wants the Israelites to know. You know, it inherent in the name Yahweh, it's the promise of the living presence of God himself day by day with his people. Um, you know, it it's expressing God's faithful love and care and his desire to redeem his people and live in fellowship with them. Um, It corresponds with the promise of the covenant to be your God and and that he states this is going to be his name forever. And we see when they say Yahweh, like a lot of times um, back in the day when they were they were very careful when they were writing, you know, copies of the the Pentateuch and all of that, any time that the Lord's name had to be written out 
there was a ceremony that they had, you know, there was this ritual they had when they were writing this. So this was a very sacred name. And this is also significant because when Jesus is born, he, he's called Emmanuel. And it's meaning God with us. Um, and he, also in the book of John, he calls himself by the name I am at one point. And, and so, you know, he tells him the name. And he tells um, Moses to assemble the elders um, and that, you know, tell him I'm going to, to deliver you and from Egypt and take you to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And he knows that the elders of Israel are going to listen to him and that they're going to go to the Canaan, Egypt. And say to him, the Lord, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. And then the Lord tells Moses, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. This statement, a lot of non-believers, especially atheists, like to point to this and say God was setting Pharaoh up for for destruction. That's not how God was. And this time Pharaoh already had a hardened heart because in that time, especially that time period, Pharaoh himself considered himself a god. Pharaoh was seen as a god by their people. And, and you see that in history, when you look at a lot of history. So essentially God was not setting up Pharaoh for destruction because Pharaoh had already hardened his heart. And we're going to see as we go along and it's, and I'll point this out, there's a progression and you have to look at the story in sequence because some people just jump and say, well, Pharaoh already had a hardened heart and God just chose that he was going to fail. You know, no, he didn't set Pharaoh up for destruction. And we'll see, you know, and you're going to see in how the process works because it still shows about free choice, about free, free will. So, um, and he talks about that he's going to show, you know, all wonders and, and perform and what he was also telling them is that they're going to ask for articles of gold and silver and clothing and what has happened is that the Israelites originally, as we know in Genesis, have been invited and were made slaves unfairly. Um, and so what has happened there was they deserved back wages, but they weren't supposed to take anything by force. And there's a reason why all these items also get taken, gold and silver and different stuff, as we go further into 
it, when we get to the tabernacle and everything. Well, Moses is still, you can kind of see he is not convinced. He has a lot of questions. And we see that the Lord sets up these different miracles and signs for Moses to perform in front of, of the elders and even in front of Pharaoh. Like the staff becoming a snake, um, his hand becoming leprous and then putting it back and it's back to normal. And then telling him to take the water from the Nile, pour it out and it'll turn into blood. Um, these miraculous signs, you know, they were to serve the purpose of confirming the message and ministry of Moses. And it's the same way with believers today. There are signs and wonders that follow to, to confirm the message that we're preaching. But Moses is not convinced. He believes that he is not the right person. And as believers, we can try, the enemy will make us feel like we are not the right person for what God wants us to do. And, um, what he ends up saying, you know, he doesn't believe that he can do it, that he just doesn't have this eloquent, eloquent speech. And the Lord says to him, who gave man his mouth, who makes him deaf or mute, who gives him sight or makes him blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you to speak and will teach you what to say. Now I want to say this. God does have the power to make someone deaf or blind or to heal the deaf or blind. However, it doesn't mean that every person who is born mute or deaf or blind you know, because, you know, God desire and desire so. Um, no, that's not how it is. And, you know, those conditions that do happen are the result, um, of Satan's activity and sin's entrance into the world through Adam. And they also do not necessarily occur because the individual affected has sin. And we're going to see that in the book of John. And we see that with Jesus when he's healing people that you'll see not everybody he heals. Does he ever say don't now don't sin anymore? There's people he there. You'll take notice. And as you read, start taking notice of when he says it and when he doesn't say it. So he tells him that, but. Moses is still not convinced and it angers the Lord. And that's the thing we have to be careful of that. If we continue to live in doubt, we're actually, you know, sinning against the Lord because we're not following or being obedient to what he wants us to do. And that's a huge part as I'm learning, you know, that's a part of revival and letting the Holy Spirit move is being obedient to what the Lord says. And walking in obedience. So. Um, so he ends up. Appointing Aaron. 
you know, Moses's brother. They're part of the Levites. And that, you know, Moses was going to tell Aaron what to say and Aaron would be the voice. However, he was still to take the staff in his hand and perform miraculous signs and wonders with it. So Moses goes and they're on the way to return to Egypt. He gets permission from his father-in-law and they go. And there's a part in this in Exodus where we see that the Lord meets Moses and was about to kill him. And we see this, people are like, what is going on? But Zipporah, his wife, she takes a flint knife and cuts off her son's foreskin and touches Moses' feet with it. And all of a sudden, the Lord leaves him alone. And what happens, what this is, is one, we see if she had to cut off the foreskin of her of her son, what was going on is because that was a covenant sign. That was something they were to do in those times. That was part of the covenant that, you know, the Lord had established with Abraham. And we see Moses had neglected that in the case of his own son and that it's a sign of disobedience. You know, as I was talking about obedience, you know, and it was disobedience on the part of Moses and his wife. And so, um, it, it demonstrates that, you know, as part of God's elect, it only continues as long as we remain, remain obedient. We do have to remain obedient. There are people that say in these days, that, oh, well, you're saved by Jesus. Now you can go and do whatever you want because you're, you're saved by faith. You're saved by grace, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, no, you can't do that. We're still to walk in obedience with the Lord. And, you know, we are not to return to our old ways. <laughs> it's done and over. And so... We see that happening, and luckily Zipporah recognized that. And so, you know, then they meet with Aaron and get everything going. Then they meet with the elders of Israel, and they believe him. They see all the signs after being told. They believe him. Then they, you know, Moses and Aaron, in chapter 5, they go to see Pharaoh and, you know, they tell him, let's go, you know, let, you know, this is, you know, Mo or Moses and Aaron go and they say, let my people go so that they, you know, so they may hold a festival to me in the desert. And we see that Pharaoh, he's just like, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. So his heart is hardened. They get denied. And in return, Pharaoh turns around and he takes away the straw that, you know, he doesn't supply the straw to, to the Israelites to make bricks, but he tells them they have to still make the same quota. And the Israelite foremen get beaten and they're discouraged. The people are discouraged. They go to Moses and Aaron 
they're not happy and they go, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They're discouraged. And this is something, and then in turn, Moses is as well discouraged. And he goes up to the Lord and he's like, oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Like he's discouraged. And we can take a lesson from this because as believers, especially if you're a brand new believer, there's this misconception that if you're called by the Lord, it's all rosy and the paths are going to be easy. It's not. (laughs) We see that, and they had, you know, and I think what happened too is, you know, Moses forgot that Lord, the Lord had said about, you know, Pharaoh is going to harden his heart, (laughs) you know? Well, you know, as believers, when we're called by the Lord, when we're serving obedience to him, it does not mean we are not going to come across opposition. When you are doing something for the Lord and the enemy, especially the enemy is not going to like it when you are doing what the Lord has called you to do. And what is happening, you know, what happens is we do come across opposition. We do come across trials and tribulations. Um, you know, and it's through disheartening circumstances, God teaches us that his deliverance and miraculous power are often preceded by unfavorable conditions and great difficulties that give little reason or hope for hope. There are going to be times that things are going to come up and it's going to cause us to be discouraged. And the enemy wants us at that point to be so discouraged that we stop what the Lord wants us to do. However, it's in those times of disappointment, we have to continue to walk by faith in God and his word, trusting God to work out his will in his own time. And, you know, like this last week, I was struggling really hard, you know, especially when I had to turn around and come home and I was sitting here going, I have a different desire. And here I am a newspaper reporter. The Lord really spoke to me on Wednesday and was reminding me that of different things that he, he words that he had placed upon my life. But he was reminding me that I am as well in a time of preparation and that it may seem I'm in unfavorable conditions and that there's no hope and that there's no light at the end of the tunnel, but that there is. And so we see that with Moses is he thinks that he's there's no hope and he thinks the Lord, you know, has lied and the Lord doesn't lie. It's just we... We deal with people who, especially people that are controlled by the enemy. They're not believers and they're controlled by the enemy. And we do fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers of darkness. And and they're not going to be happy when we're serving the Lord. 
and being obedient to him. So um, that is pretty much Exodus. Um, The next time that we go through, it'll be the Lord's response to, to Moses crying out. And so we're going to continue on and um, going into Matthew. Um, we're not quite done with Psalm 18 or Proverbs 3 yet. So continuing on in Psalm or in Matthew, we're in Matthew 17 towards the end. And there's the temple tax. Um, and there was, you know, a true, there two drachma tax that, um, and they were questioning, um, the collectors were like, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? And, you know, Jesus's response, you know, because yeah, he is the son of God. You know, we don't cause God to pay a temple tax. But he doesn't, he chooses not to, you know, be prideful about it. He has Peter go and there's, you know, his tax plus Peter's tax to, to do or to give. And then continuing on in, in 18, we see, um, you know, his disciples, and we're, as we all know, he's starting to just more confer with his disciples. He's preparing them, getting them ready um, for what is coming. And his disciples ask him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he talks about a little child. And, you know, we think about little and it's in a way as new believers, especially like new believers, it's like a child, you know, and when, and you have to look at a child and how they're developing and what they're like, their personalities are like. And I know that there are kids like little kids in our church, you know, and I've seen little kids who are believers who have more faith than an adult does. And the Lord has used kids. I have seen the Lord use kids who have touched like their parents and just believing that, you know, what they learned in Sunday school, that Jesus healed these people. They go, well, Jesus, you healed, you know, this blind man, heal my mom of, of their headache, you know, for example. And all of a sudden, you know, this mom's headache, you know, they're healed, you know. And so we have to look at it, you know, especially new believers in in the light of little kids and even little kids, you know, there's always this thing that, you know, kids can, there's no way the Lord can use a little kid at their age. And it's like, you know, I've seen kids, like I said, I've, I've seen kids with a greater faith in the Lord and the Lord uses them. And I've seen kids get, you know, baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we can't keep, like, for example, we can't keep little kids and we can't keep, you know, people, um, you know, we can't keep brand new believers away. And it's a, it's a warning, especially like to pastors and, 
you know, this passage in 18, you know, it's a warning to pastors and teachers, especially those who are seasoned in the faith to be careful, you know, with new believers, you know, and especially little kids and, and even parents that we don't hinder their faith and them coming to the kingdom. And we look at kids and, you know, you know, we see kids are humble a lot of times. People don't think, oh, a little kid's not humble. You know, I've seen kids that are pretty humble. You know, they're dependent. You know, you don't see a baby who is independent of its mother. You know, it doesn't get milk on its own. It's dependent on the mother. And you see that with kids. They're dependent on their parents. You know, and and that's how we should be when like we're, especially when we're brand new believers is being so dependent on the Lord, you know, and then kids, you know, that they're teachable. And some people will argue me, with me going, kids are not teachable. I've taught little kids, you know, I've done kids ministry and I teach teenagers, you know, yes, they are teachable. It's just the, you have to, you have to. You know, they just learn a different way from an adult. And so, yeah, you have to form your lessons of, of how they are. And that's the same way with, with brand new believers. They're teachable. They want to know what's going on. And they will ask questions. And, you know, you better know your stuff. <laughs> or say, well, I never thought about that. Let me look it up and let's talk about this later when I know. You know, and willing to trust the Heavenly Father. I have seen, you know, and and little kids, they trust their parents. You know, they trust their parents. Even if they are not a good parent. How do I know? I've watched kids in the court system. And what it is, is um, even though the parent is bad, even though if the parent is bad, you know, they're out there doing drugs and they're teaching their kids to steal the kid doesn't understand that, especially if that's a life that they've only known, they will trust that parent because, and trust them fully. Now, I'm not saying every kid is the same way, especially that they've been harmed and, and this and that, but I've seen a lot of kids and, you know, and I, I've seen it even with my nieces and nephews that, you know, are in foster care right now. They are going through counseling themselves because they knew a, a totally different life where they were stealing from stores just so that they could provide food on the table. But they still love their dad. They look up to him like he is almighty and they want to be with him. They love him. They trust him. But even and they don't quite understand why they have to be in another home. The, the two older boys quite understand it because they're older. They're, you know, in the middle school, high school range. They're understanding why. But when you've got little ones that they don't understand why they're in a foster care system. And so in the same way, and even when it's not, the parent's not bad, you know, a kid is going to trust their parents. When I was little, I trusted my parents that what they said to do was good, you know, or what they were doing was good. 
you end up having that trust. And that's how it is with brand new believers. And as us as believers that we have to have this trust with the Lord. And even when we don't see it, just like Moses, you know, having this trust and, you know, and when we're converted, you know, there's two parts with conversion. You know, it does not denote merely a single act of, act of sorrow or penance, but an all-embracing attitude of life. You know, and because here's the thing about it. Nature, we follow as a way of life before knowing Jesus. It leads us away from God and toward eternal death. We see how the culture is today. It's about going away from God. They're saying that whatever is evil is good and whatever is good is, is evil. However, you know, conversion is our human response to God's gift of salvation. And it's accomplished by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit received through faith. And number two, because of our relation to God um, conversion involves changes in the areas of relationships, habits, commitments, pleasures, and our whole view of life. And we see later on in this section where he talks about, you know, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And that's what a lot of new believers start realizing is there's things in their old life that they have to let go. And may it be alcohol. May it be friends. Even family that keep you held in this bondage to sin. And keep you know trying to keep you away. There's changes that have to be done. There's changes in attitude. There's changes in parenting. There's changes. There's so many changes because... You know, we're going from this old life to new. It's part of sanctification where sanctification happens instantly, which sanctification, if you know, you're a brand new believer and don't know what sanctification is, it's, you know, part, you know, it's through the Holy Spirit, you know, and when you're saved, your sanctification is practically, it's a process of, you know, of you know, becoming Christ-like. So you're all these old things. And so when you're brand new, there's an instant sanctification where, you know, yeah, you're brand new, your sins are wiped clean, but it's also progressive. It's part of your relationship with the Lord and it's these changes that you make. And so, you know, he's talking about this, our faith and, and doing this. And, and going through, you know, a conversion of faith. And then he talks about, he continues on and talks about the parable of the lost sheep. Um, which we see in the book of Luke as well. Um, and he's warning, do not look upon little brand new believers, especially kids who are yeah, in the faith, because here's the thing about it. He, he uses the reference 
of one sheep leaves the 99 sheep and then these 99 sheep are obe being obedient, which is hard because it's sheep. I don't like sheep. <laughs> Just so you know. Um, sheep, you know, these 99 sheep that are obe being obedient to the shepherd, but one wa wanders away. The, the shepherd's going to go find the one that has wandered away. They're not, he, they, they're not going to let the sheep die. And because, and you're going to see this referenced a lot in the Bible. We are referenced to sheep. And there is a lot of similarities. Sheep cannot sustain themselves. Like we can't sustain ourselves. We have to rely on God. <laughs> so, you know, God, you know, is, he will go after the one. He will pursue the one who has wandered away, even though there's 99 other sheep, you know, he goes after that one. So we can't cause anybody to, you know, wander away because the Lord's going to go pursue them. And, and so when one sinner is converted and we'll see this in the book of Luke, that the heavens have a party over one person that repents. So that's pretty much it for chapter eight. And that's it for today's daily reading. So for the next reading for the podcast, um, it's Exodus chapter six, verse one through chapter eight, verse four, and then Psalm 18, 20 verses 25 through 29, um, Proverbs three, 20 verses 21 through 22 and Matthew 18 verse 15 through chapter 19 verse 12. And so I'm going to lead us off in a prayer and... Um, so I just want to say thank you, Lord Jesus, for, um, this day, Lord, Lord, we just thank you, God, that Lord, you, that you are true and that Lord, you're true to your word and that Lord, we just thank you that you're, you are faithful and that Lord, you are a redeemer and that Lord, I just thank you, God, that even when things may be, you know, even when we're struggling, when things don't seem to be going right, Lord, when we feel discouraged in our walk with you, Lord, I just pray that you would begin to speak to our hearts in this area, oh Lord Jesus. I pray that you would give us peace and comfort and clarity, Lord God. Remind us of your promises, oh Lord Jesus. I pray that you would just begin to be with us. Lord, I pray that you would just go with us and and all that you do, Lord, and Lord, go before us in, in our situations, Lord, and that, Lord, we just know that you are our holy God and that you go before us, that the battle has already been won spiritually, oh, Lord God, and that, Lord, we just thank you that we are standing on holy ground. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us, Lord, help us to have that childlike faith, that that trusts in you, that is dependent upon you. Teach us your word, O Lord Jesus. And that, Lord, I just thank you, God, for all that you continue to do and that we give you the glory in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Have a great, wonderful day, everyone. And stay warm if it's snowing in your area. Thank you.